If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you today. Love you very much. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to finish what we started last week, how to win when you've lost. How to win when you've lost. You know, God has a recovery for every time that you lose. That is his plan. That is his plan. Full recovery of that which you've lost. And I have a word from God for you today. And, and he's going to speak to you some things that will totally change your life, totally change the situation that you're in if you'll believe that he's talking to you and if you'll receive that it's true for you, yeah. all right? Because, I mean, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But notice he didn't say truth will make you free. It's truth that you know. And once you receive the knowledge of the truth, then you empower your life to receive the change that that truth brings. Amen. So uh, the, the, the most important part for your life right now, at this moment, is to open up your heart, to open up your mind, and set your will to hear from God. All right? Because he's going to talk. He's going to speak to you. But be ready to listen. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, that is hearing to understand, hearing to receive, let him hear. All right? So I want to say that to you today because these are not light words that come to you. These aren't just ordinary words. These are words from your heavenly Father who made sure that you got here today for this moment to receive words, to receive instruction, to receive correction, to receive encouragement, to understand that there is always hope in God. All right? Last week, I want to just give a little recap of what we covered last week. And concerning the life of David, we walked over a few moments in his life and, and where David could have identified with the trouble in his life over the victories that he had, all right? And all of us have that decision to make. God has given every one of us the power of choice, all right? I want you to say this with, with me. It's my choice, all right? You have a choice, and David... The very first thing we looked at was the moment that his, his father received word from Samuel, the prophet, to make ready his sons because he was called by God to come and anoint one of those sons to become king of Israel. And, and so Jesse did that. At least he did seven out of eight sons. And he left David out in the field. And he brought in his, the, these seven sons. And even Samuel was smitten by the oldest by the name of Eliab because he looked kingly, strong and tall and warrior-like and, and handsome and just would be a great representative for the nation of Israel. And God said, no, I've rejected him. You're looking at the outward. I'm looking at what's on the inside. I'm looking at the heart. And so God rejected all seven sons. And then finally, Samuel said, do you have any other children? Are they all here? And Jesse said, my son David, there he is in the field with sheep. So he called David in, and God said, this is him. So Samuel anointed David the day that his father overlooked him. So David at that moment could have chosen to be angry and upset 
about the fact that his father did not deem him important enough to be at that event, or he could just simply attach himself to what God had done for him. Even in the field, even overlooked by his own father, yet God made sure that David was called. The next thing we, we saw was when he showed up by running an errand for his dad to bring bread and cheese and some other supplies to his brothers who were at war with the Philistine army. His three oldest brothers were there, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. They were there at war. And so his dad said, David, go get report of the war. Tell me what's going on, how your brothers are faring in the war. And so he went and shows up. And as he's there, he sees and hears this giant step out from the Philistine army and began to offer a challenge. Send me a man this day that I will fight hand-to-hand combat, one-on-one. If I win, you will serve us. If he beats me, we will serve you. And nobody took him up on the challenge. For 40 days this happened. And here they are at day 40. David shows up and here's what's going on. So he begins to ask questions. Eliab walks over to David and instead of pulling him inside and, and saying something to him like, dude, you need to go home or what? He just out in front of everyone says, why have you come here? I know your pride and your insolence in your heart. And who have you left those few sheep with? Acting like what David did wasn't important. What he was doing was important, right? Now, if I'm David, I might say something like this. Oh, so, okay, I could be at home watching sheep or I could be here running scared like a little girl like you are. He was probably wise not to say that to his older brother. But at that point, but David said, well, what have I now done? What have I done now? As in, this is kind of the average communication from his older brother to him. What have I done now, Eliab? <laughs> is there not a cause? So David could have, could have, at this moment, become bitter toward his brother who should be protecting him instead of he's embarrassing in front of everybody. He could have been upset about that and begin to identify with that, that nobody likes me, no, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat some worms. Yeah. <laughs> right? These are important people in his life who are not bringing the support that they seemingly should be. But yet, on that day that his brother ridiculed him in front of everyone, shamed him in front of one, God used David to shame all of his enemies. Yeah. Took down that Goliath and they beat the Philistine army. And then his own beloved king, King Saul, who David revered so highly and would do anything for, was on the hunt for David. Because we talked about last week, because Saul saw in David what he could not see in himself. And he became very jealous and very angry and very envious of David and even tried to kill him on several occasions. But yet God delivered David every time. So David, even there, could have decided that, you know what? Nobody like. I mean, what is it, it, it going to take here? Yeah. And just give up. Because it doesn't seem to get the support that he needs. And yet God continually shows him, I'm here along the way, David. Now David has fled to the Philistines, to their land. Was given a a, a city by the name of Ziklag. And so they were going to go to war with the Philistines, David and his men. At one point, the Philistines had decided they were going to wage war with Israel. So David is ready to do some battle with the Philistines. Now, he... In his mind, he would never attack Saul and Jonathan, of course, ever. He already proved that. So David has in his mind that he's going to, some, to work with Israel and destroy the Philistines. And the Philistine lords get wind of that. They understand that David's there with them. They said, no, 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 you send this guy back. He is not here to help us. He's here looking for an opportunity. 
And so they reject David from this place called Aphek, and they leave Aphek, him and his 600 men, they head back to their city called Ziklag, all right? It's 60 miles. Three days later, they get there, and their city is completely burned with fire, and all their women and children are kidnapped. And the scripture says that they all raised their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. They're at a total loss at this moment. Even doing righteous things. Did they deserve this? No, they didn't deserve this. They're following a man who's done nothing but live honorably up to this point. And yet, all they find themselves here, the sum of their lives is their city is burned and their families have been kidnapped. And so they begin to whisper to one another how this came to be, whose fault this is. And all fingers pointed to David and they were so grieved and so overcome that they, dis- they talked about actually stoning David to death. And the scripture says, look, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Let's turn there. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people is grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. No one else was going to strengthen David. He took it upon himself. He, he made it his own responsibility, his life. He was going to see that his life was going to go in a certain direction right now at this point. Instead of lying down and dying, instead of saying, you know what, boys, throw the stones. As a matter of fact, I mean, this has not paid off for me. Look where I've led you. I totally get it. Kill me, Please. Put me out of my misery. But David couldn't do that. Because David was a man whose heart was after God. Not after, not after, not after a reputation among men. But his heart was after God. And at this moment, he had to make a choice. And your life is a sum pretty much of the choices that you have made, all right? Whether good or bad, that's just the way it is. And if your thoughts and your choices have brought you to a place in your life of loss, it brought you to a place where you are not happy and you have no joy and you have no peace, I'm here to tell you today you can make a new choice. And by those choices, one after another, you can pull your life out of its trouble. Because God has fashioned you and made you in such a way that you can win every time. Even in the midst of total loss, ladies and gentlemen, he's made you to recover. He's created you. He put his spirit on the inside of you, the spirit of a conqueror. And the scripture says that we are, through him, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. All right? Understand this today. Wherever you find yourself, even right now at this moment, I'm telling you there is hope for recovery. Now, don't act like for, for one second that the recovery, because you, you, we get it in our minds sometimes that the recovery means one thing, mm-hmm. That's good. that I get the same thing that I had before, right. that it looks like, no, mm, 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 not necessarily, not necessarily. I had a, 
I had a ring stolen from me, um, a wedding ring that I had. And Heather and I both, we had a couple of rings stolen. So what we did was we just said, okay, well, the Lord is our, our help. I mean, if they need it that bad, all right, whatever. That ring had nine diamonds, no, seven, seven diamonds, sorry, seven diamonds in it. And they, they were gifted to us, actually. It was a gold band that had these seven diamonds in it. And um, so uh, we just put this in the Lord's hands. I said, God, you know, you're able to do far exceedingly above what we could ask or think. The thief has to pay back, and God is faithful to his word. It's that simple. I'm going to get caught up in stuff. And some time goes by, and I told you guys a story a few weeks ago, but I just want to, I want to tell you this story because it's, it's important for what I just said because a man walked into our church when we were having mobile church over at uh, Scott Johnson Ele- uh, uh, Middle School when we used to have church there, and, and he was here in the early service. A man named John Rogers and his wife, Jana, walked into the church, and uh, he was talking about pastoring a church, um, planting a church in the McKinney area. And uh, so I said, oh, that's wonderful, man. I'm glad to meet you. And, and he had this ring on his finger. I said, man, that is a nice ring. He takes it off his hand and says, here. And I'm like, oh, no, I wasn't asking for it. He said, no, I'm, I want to, let me, let me give this to you. And he get, I mean, the thing looks like a, looks like a championship football ring. I mean, it's like huge and diamonds all over it. And that's just not really me, you know, but I put it on, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, this is a lot of ring for me. And, uh, uh, but I, I, I would make myself wear it even though I didn't really match the ring. And I, I would just wear it and, and, and thank God. It, would, it was a reminder to me of his faithfulness and his goodness. And one day, we were sitting at, I was sitting at Crash for the Nations while Dad was teaching a class, teaching homiletics, and I was watching him. And, and then you know how you do when the sermon's going? You kind of just get distracted doing other things, you know? <laughs> like some of you are right now. What's on Instagram? What's, you know? No, nobody here does that, I know. Um, you guys are fully engaged. And what's going on right now? Totally undistra- non-distracted. Oh, now watch. So I, I'm looking at this ring, and there's a lot of these little diamonds on it, and I never, I thought, I'm going to count these things. So I just started counting the little diamonds on the ring. It took a while. Then there's some on the side. I'm looking on the side. 49. Seven times what was stolen. I had no idea that the answer had already come. The recovery was there. I never even saw it. Seven times what was stolen was on my hand. That's extraordinary. Well, that helped me learn something about God, that the recovery was better than what was lost. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. So don't just limit to Just getting what was lost. Just put this in the hands of God, the God who is more than enough. Do you know that your God does not know the meaning of the word enough? He doesn't know the meaning of the word enough. His name is more than enough. So don't ever get satisfied with just enough. Because you have a God who is more than enough. His name is El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. Glory to God. Let's go to verse 7. My goodness. Forgive me for getting off my notes. 
Verse 7, then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son. Now, Ahimelech was the high priest, but Ahimelech had been killed by Saul and his guys. They had committed a terrible, terrible act. Killed this high priest, and Abiathar, his son, grabbed this ephod and ran to David with this ephod. We're going to talk about that. So, please, David says to him, bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Let's pull this picture up here. This, what we're about to see here is this is the high priest, what he wore when he was in the temple. And, and, and all, everything that he has on there is very significant, all right? It was instructions by God of what this man should wear. And I don't have time to go into the details, and maybe sometime we'll talk about all of the, the aspects of this priestly garment. But I really want to hone in on, let's bring the close-up of that breastplate there. Doesn't that look like, isn't that cool that God gave uh, thousands of years earlier the design for the iPad <laughs> and the apps? Isn't that cool? On these stones, on this, this gold plate here, are these precious stones, and we'll look at that, um, get, get ready for Exodus 28, Michael, um, these stones, and, and they are precious stones. This is the most expensive part of the priestly garment, and, but on each stone is written a name of a tribe of Israel, 12 stones, there's 12 tribes, all right, and it's engraved in it. It's not just written with a little... Sharpie. These are actually etched into the precious stone itself, and that's important. And they're set in gold. Bring up Exodus 28 and verse 15. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. The breastplate of judgment. What are you wearing today, child of God? What's your breastplate? You wear a breastplate of righteousness today. Hallelujah. Here he wore the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. You shall make it. Now, uh, let's look at the, that thread and stuff. This is the kind of material that was used <coughs> in, in the, uh, uh, for the, the thread, the fine woven linen. You shall make it. All right, let's continue. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. So a double up in a square, that means there was a little pocket there that was behind that plate that was in that, that, that fabric, behind that plate with the 12 stones. All right, continue. Uh, oh, yeah. You shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. Nice. Third row, adjacent, and is that an agate? Is that how you say that? And an an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper, they shall be set in what? In gold settings. You know what that gold represents for you and I today? Righteousness. Righteousness. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 14 says, in righteousness you shall be established. In righteousness you shall be set. You shall be established there. And those stones represent the children of God, which are us today, established, set in righteousness. And not only that, but the names are engraved. This speaks of a permanent fixture. This is what your Lord and Savior Jesus did for you. 
made you a permanent fixture in the family of God. Now what? Now here, you see these plates here? They set up on the shoulder of the high priest. Let's go back to that, that main, main piece for a second. Uh, yeah, see up on his shoulders, one on each side of, on this onyx. There were six names on one side, six on the other. And, and then the other part covered the high priest's heart. Those stones covered his heart and the onyx stones covered his shoulders. Speaking of his love, the heart from the heart comes love, and from the shoulder comes strength. Jesus holds you in his love, and he upholds you with his strength. Yeah. Behind these stones, in that pouch, as I was speaking of, that pocket behind it, was placed by Moses from instruction of God called the Urim, we'll say Urim, Urim, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. It's U-R-I-M and the Tumim or the Thumim. Say this with me. Say Urim and Tumim. All right, we'll just do that. Urim and Tumim. And we don't even really know what that was. Some speculate that it was rocks uh, and it had this certain... Uh, they were weighted dice, basically, because the priest would, they say, would basically roll the dice and get their answer from God. But that doesn't really go with what the Scripture says because it says they were placed in this pouch. All right? Now, Urim means lights, and Tumum means perfections or completion. That is the complete, perfect truth of God. Lights and perfections. All right? So when he would put, when the, when the Urim and the, Urim and the Thummim were behind this, these names. This is what would happen. You see these light rays coming off here? When they would inquire of the Lord, there are those letters, those Hebrew letters of the children of Israel. Now they would read from the right to the left. And God would then answer them through this ephod, through the lights and perfections that are behind these precious stones and illuminate different letters from these names to give them their answer. And they would, they would seek the ephod. They would inquire the Lord through the ephod to find what God was saying. Now, that, this wasn't every way that they sought God, but there are ways throughout the scriptures. Joshua did it as well. You can see where they, they inquired the Lord through this ephod. It was one way to hear from God. Now, I know what you're thinking today. I sure would like to have an ephod to be able to do that. <laughs> be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Tell me. Light up. But listen, you've got something way better. This is a type and just a shadow of the real deal. The real deal is in you. The real deal is in you. All right? The real deal is in you. All right? And that is called the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Wisdom being the truth of God, the, the, the completeness of God's truth, and revelation being the illumination of God, the lights and the perfections. And he, the Holy Spirit of God, is the sure thing who's living in you. That way you don't have to walk through life playing guesswork and wondering and I don't know, but inquiring of the Lord, saying, Holy Spirit of God, your, spirit, your word teaches that you guide me into all truth. The scripture also teaches that you have received now an anointing that teaches you all things. 
See, God wants you to know the truth. He is there. The Holy Spirit is there to reveal the truth of God to you, to reveal, that is, what God has given you. Is this helping you so far? I know we're having a little Bible lesson today. And today, our high priest is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Seated. It's important that he's seated. Because the high priest throughout the scriptures stood all day long. Because the work was never accomplished. It was never done. It was never finished. But this high priest took care of your sins so thoroughly that he sat down. Signifying. Signifying all can come before God now. All have free access to this throne of grace. Hallelujah. Let's go to verse 11 in 1 Samuel. No, verse 8, I'm sorry, the second part. Stay with me here. 8b, and he answered him, that is the Lord answered David when he sought the ephod, he inquired of the Lord through the ephod, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Boy, that's good news, isn't it? That is good news. You shall overtake them, and you without fail shall recover all. Now watch. Watch what happened. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, and he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor because they be sore. <laughs> Now listen, listen for a moment. David just lost a third of his guys. This might be reason to be a little anxious about the next step. This very well could have been a distraction for him, knowing he had a word from God, but yet this is not how I was imagining this was going to work out. This doesn't look like, okay, well, God said it. So David, at that moment, decided to attach himself again to hold on to what God had said over what men could do in the process to help him. All right? The promise from God that he has given you, the things that he has spoken to you, take it upon yourself to believe it when nobody else will, to pursue it when others won't go there with you. Now, these guys are not bad guys. They have wives and children that are lost too. They're just so tired. They just came from a 60-mile march, and then they wept until they couldn't weep anymore. I mean, they're completely worn out, and they are distraught. So 200 of these guys stay. David takes 400 men, and they continue to go forward. All right? Verse 11, then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him, watch what they did. And they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins, so when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. I read this story, and I think about what David is after. He's after his family. He has two wives that he has to recover. And I, I, I don't know at that point, if he had children by them at this point, he might have, but there are women and children who have been kidnapped. And his men are on a mission to get their families back. And yet, 
they come across some guy out on a field and decide to just stop their pursuit and start working on this guy. Seems like a bit off the path, doesn't it? I mean, this is a very desperate situation. There's no telling what the Amalekites could do or are already doing to wives and children. I mean, just, you know, I imagine the imagination's running wild. Every step they take, they've got to get there quicker. It's not quick enough. And yet, here's this guy laying out here, and they decide to begin to nurse him back to health. And so they feed him, and they give him some water. And, uh, you know, that, he, this guy's not reviving instantly. That kind of thing takes time. Right. And so they're just waiting on him to get better and, 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 you know, caring for his needs. And finally, he gets strength. Now watch. And then David says to him, to whom do you belong, and where are you from? So David doesn't know anything about this guy. David doesn't even know that the Amalekites have done this. All they know is their city's been plundered, their families have been kidnapped, and God didn't even tell him through the ephod who it was. He just told him that he would definitely overtake them and recover all without fail. So David doesn't have any idea who has done this. All right? So he's he's just kind of sniffing out clues as he goes, and just maybe this guy can help them. He doesn't look like much. He's a stranger. He's weak. He's at the point of death. He's a foreigner. He's a slave. David did know that. He said, to whom do you belong? So I don't know if he had the earrings or a nose ring or whatever that signified a slave. But David did know that much about him. But he takes the time to do this. Why, why, why is he taking the time to do this? Well, they've got bigger fish to fry. Who cares? David cares. Where was this Egyptian? In the field. Where was David whenever the prophet came to choose and anoint the king of Israel? David was in the field. David knew something about the guy in the field. He was not the guy to overlook. He was the guy that could possibly help the cause. Could possibly help the cause. Anybody else could overlook this guy. As a matter of fact, the Amalekites did overlook him because they just threw him to the side because he was not helping them one bit. He fell sick, and they just let him go to die. And yet David comes upon him and says, there I am. There I am. Now, I've got a lot of busy things going on right now. I've got big business to take care of. I've got a wife and children to look after, but I cannot ignore this right here. Yes. This has possibilities. So good. Now watch. Let me say this to you. God has not overlooked you. He knows exactly where you are, and you might feel as insignificant as an Egyptian slave laying almost dead out in the field. I can offer nothing in a place that seems barren. But God knows where you are, 
and he has plans for you right where you are. And there are people that are coming into your life where you are, people coming into your life that you can help their cause, that you might just be the one who has the thing that they're looking for. All right. So in the process of you getting to where in your mind and in your heart where you, the desire is fulfilled, don't forget in that process, in that field, there is work to be done. There are things to accomplish for your God that he is just as much in the process as he is in the finished product. And David said, to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And so he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. Ding, ding, ding. Good call, David. Your generosity has paid off right now. Watch. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick just like a stinking Amalekite. Right? To not care. You're sick? Ah, you're no good to us. These are the guys who prayed on the weak, prayed on the elderly, prayed on the children. Barbarians. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. That's the news David needed to hear. Now I know who my enemy is. And who would have known that it could have come through this sick, weak Egyptian slave? And David said to him, can you take me down to the troop? He said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me in the hands of my master. Smart guy. You don't kill me nor deliver me in the hands of the guy who already left me for dead. And I will, and I will take you down to the street. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Look what the word, look what this says. They were spread out. Ladies and gentlemen, they ain't ready for war if they're spread out. Because when you're ready for war, when you're ready to fight, you band together. These guys are weak. They are not ready. They're vulnerable. So David attacks. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are in hand-to-hand combat with David and his men, you are done. You are finished. Because David said, he trains my hands for war. And there is no enemy that can stand against somebody who fights the way God taught him to fight. And he had brought him down. There, there they were spread out all over them. Now look at this. So the Egyptian slave was just the guy who had the information, the right information that they needed. Yeah. And what, in a great, what a great time for an attack when these guys are full of food, drunk on wine, and all by themselves. Uh-huh. Verse 17, then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. This guy spent 24 hours beating the mess out of some Amalekites. Don't forget, they're tired too. 200 guys were so tired that they couldn't even, don't you know these guys are weary too? But they had a word from God. They had a promise from God. You shall overtake them and you shall recover all. Ladies and gentlemen, the scripture teaches you, do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart. Even in the midst of it, keep fighting. 
keep confessing the word, when you're so weak and you're so tired and you don't feel like, you don't feel like holding fast your profession of faith, you don't feel like singing a song, you'd rather just lay there and take what comes to you. But listen, that's your moment. That is your moment to, be, to find strength. That is your moment to be renewed in hope in God, to understand that God watches over his word to perform it. His promise is true. His promise is sure to all those who will believe. So David attacked them twilight, leaving until the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. There must have been such a slaughter that day that 400 guys who escaped looked like nothing. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking. Watch, either small or great. Nothing was lacking, either small or great. Small or great. And it says that so that you and I can understand today that we should never adopt the attitude of, well, you win some and you lose some. But God wants you to recover all small and great. All right? Hallelujah. Now watch. Uh, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken from them, David recovered all. Glory to God. Glory to God. And in his lineage would be born Jesus Christ, the son of David, the king of Israel, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And what Jesus would do for you and I that we could not do in our own power, in our own strength, would recover all that the enemy had stolen from the very moment that man and woman ate that piece of fruit in the garden. Jesus recovered all. And because he recovered all, he has given his spirit to you so that you will pursue everything that God has for you concerning your recovery. Amen. Father, thank you for this time in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you've put your spirit in us and that you have set us up in such a way that we are led to victory, we are led in triumph. Your word says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. God, I thank you that you've given us the ability through Jesus Christ, not on our own strength. We were without strength, and yet he died for us. We were sinners, and yet he died for us. We were enemies, and yet he died for us and offered us his great grace, life, and that more abundantly. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, I am, a, I am in a place of loss in my life, and I don't really, I'm, I'm not here to judge what measure of loss that is. I'm just saying any loss of any kind. If you're here today and you're suffering some kind of loss, just raise your hand where you are. I want to pray for you. You're at a loss in some way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Father, you see these hands here today. And we seek you right now. The God who is more than enough, who is able to do what we cannot do, who has this supernatural ability, who has this power that is limitless, you who are seated in the heavens, see the beginning from the end, 
and you know all things, and you know us. Father, I thank you that you have a plan of recovery for these here today who have lost. You are still seated. Their trouble doesn't rattle you. Their loss doesn't put you at a loss of words or ability to help. But Father, even right now, you are a very present help in their time of need. Father, I thank you now for these situations turning around. That this loss, this loss would not be the end, but they would recover and recover all. In the name of Jesus. You know what? Even if you're here today and the loss was by your own fault, even if you're here and the loss... And then you've got the, the idea, the mindset, well, I brought this on myself. This is what I deserve. Aren't you, I want to just give you some good news today. God gives you grace. And grace is undeserved. So this ain't about you deserving it. This is about God being gracious to you. And loving you. Even when you've backed yourself into a wall, to a hard place, and have no answers. And instead, you drink in shame and guilt and regret. And you do that because you think that that'll help you get better. You think that if you feel bad enough, feel sorry enough, then maybe you won't do this again. But all you do is empower yourself to become weaker. Because you can't, by your guilt and shame, empower yourself to do anything but repeat the same things over and over again. Because that's the cycle of condemnation. It keeps you bound. It keeps you weak. It keeps you powerless. It keeps you down. But God gives you grace. God gives you grace. Where sin abounded... Grace much more abounded. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, you're under grace. This is no longer about you getting your list of doing and do's and don'ts right. This is about you just saying, I'm powerless to do it. I'm weak, but God's grace is great. And if you'll receive his strength into your life, you'll receive his grace and all that comes with it. Hallelujah. You will find the ability to win. You will find the reason for moving forward. And that is because God simply loves you. And he has good thoughts concerning you even right now. Even now. So set your mind on him. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Let God be God in your life. Let him do what he wants to do. Let him show you his goodness. Amen. So just repent. Let's just all say this together. Father, I choose right now to follow you. Jesus, you not only took away my sins, but the guilt and the shame 
that come along with it. You took the full blame for what I did. So since you did that, I receive grace. I receive your love. I'm not going to think that feeling bad is going to fix me anymore. I'm going to think like God thinks that Jesus has covered me with his blood and old things are passed away and all things are new in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.